Let's get into Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to start in Hebrews 11, but we will be all over Scripture today. Hebrews 11, verse 11, and we'll read to 16. Let's hear the word of the Lord. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word, for how you reveal yourself to us and how you teach us. Pray as we study your word and think about Abraham and Sarah this morning, that we would be encouraged. We would be challenged to live by faith, trusting in you, that you are faithful to do what you did in their life for us. And as we see your faithfulness, especially in Christ, may we rejoice in our great God. I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, we just got done singing one of my favorite hymns, It Is Well With My Soul. I've always liked that hymn, but it really became my favorite once I heard the story behind it. I'm not sure how familiar you are, but the song was written by a man named Horatio Spafford. He was a businessman, a lawyer in the 1800s in Chicago, and he lost nearly everything he had in the big Chicago fires of 1871. And after just reeling from this horrible year, he didn't even know what to do. He wanted a break for his family for some relief and some rest. He decided they're just going to take a trip overseas to visit some friends. They're going to go to England and visit D.L. Moody, was one of the people that he wanted to visit. But the last moment, he had some business come up, so he sent his wife and his four daughters ahead of him, and he was going to join them in a couple days. And just a few days into this trip, their small boat collided with another huge boat, and 200 people drowned, including his four daughters. Now, miraculously, his wife was pulled out of the water just before drowning. She made it all the way to England. And when she got to England... She sent a message back to her husband that said, Saved alone, what should I do? I can't imagine what it would be like to get that message. But Horatio got on a boat. He went as fast as he could to meet and to care for his grieving wife. And as legend has it, on the way there, as he's passing the place where his daughters drown, he wrote this song, It is well with my soul. Now I'm amazed that he was able to write something like this in that state of grief. And I honestly do believe him that he was able to get to the place where he could say it is well with his soul. But I also don't believe that he thought he had arrived. I don't think that he believed that his faith would always be that strong or that this tragedy would always be well with his soul. I mean, did you catch one of the last lines when he said, Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. Well, it's well with his soul for now. But he longs for the day when faith won't be a struggle anymore, when faith will be sight, when Jesus returns. 
And for us as believers, for Christians, that is our hope. That's what makes it well with our soul. That's our anchor in the middle of the storm. Exactly what the song says, that our sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. Now, even though that is our anchor of faith, we can still struggle greatly day to day, can't we? Our faith may be strong one day. We want to praise God. It comes easy to us. And other days, we're just barely hanging on by a thread. And I do wonder how confidently you were able to say, it is well with my soul this morning. I'm sure some of you wanted to jump up and say, yes, amen. I may not even be there right now, but I want it to be there. Maybe some of you reluctantly saying those words and said, you know what, it's probably true, it's just really hard for me to see. And maybe some of you could barely get those words out of your mouth because you felt like you were lying. Well, as we come to Hebrews 11 again this morning, we are going to be called to endure in faith. And we're going to look at the example of faith in Abraham and Sarah. But what I don't want you to miss this morning, that even though there are tremendous examples of faith that we should emulate, they still struggled greatly. Faith didn't come easy to them. Strong faith didn't come easy to them. They were frail, fallen, sinful, broken people just like the rest of us. But God even used their failure, their doubts, their struggle, and even their faithlessness to fuel their faith. So as we look at their examples through Scripture this morning, I want to point out three things in regards to Abraham and Sarah. First, I want to look at their obstacles of faith. And second, the object of their faith. And third, the outcome of their faith. The obstacles of their faith, the object, and then the outcome of their faith. And what I don't want you to miss more than anything, if you remember nothing else I say, please remember this. The example of Abraham and Sarah is screaming to us loud and clear that the God who promised is faithful. Regardless of our circumstances, regardless of how we feel, regardless of how strong or weak our faith is, we can trust the Lord of Abraham and Sarah because he who promised is faithful. Now we've seen many examples of this already, haven't we? The faithfulness of God in Abel who worshipped by faith. And then Enoch who walked by faith earlier on in chapter 11. And then Noah, a few weeks ago, who built an ark by faith and trusted the Lord even when they had no earthly reasons to. And last week, Chad introduced us to Abraham in verses 8 through 10, the great man of faith in both the Old and the New Testament. In verses 8 through 10, Abraham, we saw, lived by faith as a stranger and an alien in a foreign land. He left his homeland, not knowing where he was going to go, but he left all that he knew behind to follow the Lord. And even when he got to the homeland, He didn't settle in, right? He lived in tents with his family as a foreigner and a sojourner in the promised land. Oh, and as difficult as it must have been for Abraham to live in the promised land, wondering day to day, are we ever going to inherit this land? Another huge challenge for Abraham was, are we ever going to fill this land? Because you remember, he wasn't just promised a land. He was promised descendants. He was promised to be made into a great nation that would bless the whole world. Now, it seems like to most people that making descendants isn't much of a challenge. I mean, you got the biblical command, be fruitful and multiply, and sovereign grace is doing a good job in that area. But for Abraham and Sarah, this promise of descendants couldn't have more obstacles. And we can see that in verse 11. Let's look at verse 11 one more time as we look at the obstacles of faith. Verse 11 says this, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age. 
So you notice by faith again, but now we have a new subject. We have Sarah now, the wife of Abraham. Now maybe some of you are thinking, well, wait a minute, why are we talking about Sarah? Her faith was not commendable really in the Old Testament. Plus, verses 8 through 10 were all about Abraham. Verse 12 and all the way to 19 are all about Abraham. So why does Sarah get the spotlight for this one verse? This one little bitty verse in verse 11. We see when it comes to descendants, Sarah and Abraham's struggle for faith are really interwoven. Both of their challenges make that promise really difficult. On the one hand, we get that. It takes two people to conceive. It's the way it is. And they both have their challenges there. But the Bible also, both Old and New Testament, talks about Sarah and Abraham as examples, even parents of the faith, father and mother. Paul calls Abraham the father of faith in Romans 4. And Sarah is called the mother of faith in Galatians 4.26. Peter himself says they are heirs together of the promise. Heirs together of the grace of life. And so yes, we do want to shine the spotlight on Sarah. But don't forget Abraham. In fact, verse 11 has notorious, difficult translation issues. All kinds of translation issues. And if you want to talk about that more later, I would love to talk to you about that. And the best translation I was able to find in my long time of research was essentially this, to read this passage as, by faith Sarah, along with Abraham. By faith Sarah, along with Abraham, they both received power to conceive. Now that's the end result. That's the result after the struggles, but we want to get all the way into the struggle. So take your Bibles, turn all the way to the Old Testament, chapter 15 of Genesis. Keep your finger in Hebrews, we'll definitely be back. Genesis 15, verse 1 as we see some of the obstacles of faith that Abraham confronts. Now you need to know in chapter 12, just a few chapters before this, chapter 15, God gave Abraham the promise of descendants. I will make you into a great nation. Kings will come from you. Nation will come from you. They will bless the world. Just a couple chapters before this, but now it's more than a decade later. Abraham is in his 80s. It doesn't matter how old this story is. 80s is not the ideal time to be a parent. That hasn't changed. But Abraham is in his 80s, and he's over a decade after the promise, still no kids. So let's look and see how he responds. Chapter 15 of Genesis, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. God's teaching him who he is right now. And God says, your reward, Abram, shall be very great. So Abram says, okay, God, let's talk about that reward, because it's been a while since these kids that you promised me. So verse 2, he says, but Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. That's one of Abraham's servants. And Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my house will be my heir. Do you see Abraham's obstacle? He's more than 80 years old, and he's never been able to have kids. Most likely, he didn't possess the physical ability to have kids at this point in his life. Many scholars think from the language here and elsewhere that he was impotent, that this just wasn't going to happen. And so Abraham sees this as an impossible command. Now think of how hard this must have been to a man named Abram. Abram means exalted father. Imagine 80 years of conversations Abram, man, look, you have so many servants, you have so much cattle. Abram, exalted father. Say, Abram, where are your kids? Your parents really missed the boat on that name, didn't they? 
80 plus years of just having that dagger, his name reminded him daily that God's promise was getting more and more impossible every single day. And so what does Abram do? He comes up with a plan. Comes up with a solution of his own and says, look, Eliezer, he's my servant. He's a servant in my house. He can have a child for me. He has a child. We'll adopt him into our family. Lord, you can start the nation with him. Makes sense. It's practical. It's a reasonable, worldly, wise solution in so many ways. So what does God do? Verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man, Eliezer, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir, Abram. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. It's a little easier to do in Bakersfield, but not where Abraham was. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And look at how Abraham responds. Verse 6. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham was confronted with this massive obstacle of faith. And not only did God reject his plan, he didn't remove the obstacle for Abram. He backed Abraham into a corner, Abram at this point, to where he had no choice but to believe that God would do the impossible. To where he had nothing left to depend on, no circumstantial evidence to trust the Lord, but he had to trust the Lord by faith. Isn't this so often how God does with us? So often the case in our own lives. We can come to God with the most brilliant plan in our mind. It must be like a child coming to their dad saying, Dad, I got this all figured out. Look, I got a flow chart and a plan. If this happens, we can do this. That must have been what it was like for God to hear from Abram. But God not only says no and shuts the door on many of our plans, he so often doesn't even remove the obstacle, does he? And what are we supposed to do when that happens? Should we get bitter, impatient? Should we get angry because God didn't take our wisdom? How dare he? Oh, we have to be so careful in holding God to promises he never made. How often we think, God, I thought you wanted me to have a good marriage, obedient children, a better job that I delight in, a better place to live. That was never part of the deal. But we hold God to these plans of our hands and think that he should obey our wisdom. We also have to be careful not to go the other way and say, well, I guess whatever I do doesn't matter. Right? Just throw up our hands and say, I give up. I'm not going to try to do anything because I'm just along for the ride, God. Right? I'm going to let go and let God. We have to remember, too, that God doesn't just change our plans. He often uses means, uses us and our faith to accomplish his plans. And sometimes what God is doing in the midst of these situations is backing us into a corner just like Abraham until we get to a place where we have to trust that God can do the impossible. Well, what about Sarah? What were her obstacles of faith? Let's turn to Genesis 18. A couple chapters over if you're still in Genesis. Sarah had her own obstacles, her own issues to deal with. Now what we're skipping here as we turn over a few chapters is decades. <laughs> we're skipping a lot of years in their life. And in chapter 16 we find out that Sarah comes up with a plan of her own to fix this. She gets impatient with God's plan and says, you know what, Abraham, maybe it's not you that's the problem anymore. You believe, you've trusted, maybe it's me. I've been barren all these years, so you know what? Let's fix that. Here's my servant, Hagar. Make her your wife. Have a child with her, and then that will be our descendants. And Abraham, foolishly, I believe, agrees to this plan, has a child, Ishmael, and then Abraham offers Ishmael up to God in chapter 17 and says, Look, Ishmael, may Ishmael walk before you. And God says no. Shuts the door on their plan again. In Genesis 18, we begin to see how Sarah responds to this. 
Genesis 18, verse 9. They said, those are messengers from the Lord, to Abraham, to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. At this point, it's almost 25 years since the promise. 25 years. You ever get impatient with God after a few hours? A few seconds in traffic? How about 25 years waiting for him to keep his promise? Look at how Sarah responds, continuing in verse 10. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abram and Sarah were old. That's saying the least. Advanced in years. They were almost 90 and 100. If 80s were bad, whoa, that's not good. Listen to this verse. The way of women had ceased with Sarah. Sounds like a horrible verse, right? Horrible thing. She's barely a woman anymore. It's not what it means. The idea here is that if she was going to have a child, that day is long gone. In our day, we might say she's already completed menopause. There's no way that this is going to happen. So Sarah says, verse 12, So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Sarah's saying, look, it's too late. This is not going to work. There are too many obstacles in the way here. This is just insane. I mean, look at me. Look at him. He's even older. This is not going to work. And she laughs here in rebellion, actually, in a moment of weak faith and disbelief. Abraham laughs as well in chapter 17, but it seems his laugh is more like if he doesn't laugh, he's going to cry. He's shocked. But Sarah is rebuked for her weak faith here. Look at verse 13. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. And this is my favorite part. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. God rebukes Sarah here for her weak faith, but graciously, miraculously, Sarah does repent of this. We don't get to see her repentance But we do find out in just a few chapters that they conceive and have Isaac. And they name Isaac, Isaac for laughter, showing their moments of weak faith. Sarah even says in Genesis 21, you don't need to turn there, that God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Not laugh at me, but laugh with me. When they see Isaac, they're going to think, how in the world did this happen? This is who their God is. God can bring forth the impossible. He can actually do the impossible. And that's what Hebrews tells us. Turn back to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 gives this insane summary of so many years of history there. We just got a brief little glimpse of. Hebrews 11.11, remember it says, By faith Sarah, along with Abraham, received power to conceive, even when she was past the age. You know what the most amazing thing to me about this verse is? God doesn't give any sign that this was tough. He gives a commendation to Sarah. In chapter 4 of Romans, he commends Abraham, but he says nothing about their moments of weak faith. All that stands out in the end is what God did through their faith, as weak as it was. Wasn't it a blessing to know that our God is patient with weak faith? He's kind and gracious and forgiving. Brothers and sisters, when you see the example of Abraham and Sarah, don't judge them. Don't look at them and think, I would never, never do something that stupid. Relate to them. Understand them. Realize and recognize that if you were in their shoes, we would do the same thing. 
We need to leave room in our faith for weakness, for doubt, for struggles, for difficulty, in yourself and also with other people. We have to leave room for the process of faith, for days of strong faith and weak faith, and recognize that God works through both. But at the same time, we have to be careful because we want to recognize that faith is a struggle, that faith is a process, but the struggle isn't the end goal. Yes, leave room for doubt, but don't make doubt a virtue. Don't make doubt the end game. Don't look at Abraham and Sarah and say, I would never do that, but don't look at them and say, I could never do that. There's no way that I could have that faith. There's no way that I could live like that. There's no way that I can ever get there. I'm just stuck in this weak faith forever. Because the point is, the God that did this through Abraham and Sarah, in all their moments of weak and strong faith, can do this for us as well. He can overcome any, any obstacle. Because he's the God that can do the impossible. So that was the obstacles of faith. Let's talk about the object of their faith. And I hope that question is just burning in your mind right now. Okay, I get the example. They had a lot to overcome. How did they do it? How did they do it? How did they get past those horrible days, those really rough days where you're looking around saying, Lord, I don't see anything worth celebrating. I don't see your work anywhere around me. What were they trusting in? And who were they trusting in? Look at verse 11 one more time at the end in Hebrews 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age. Now listen to this. Since... Because for this reason, here it is, here's the object of their faith. Since she, and remember along with Abraham, so since they considered him faithful who had promised. Do you see the object of their faith? They didn't rest it all on Isaac. They didn't rest it all on, on some real estate in the ancient Near East. They didn't rest it all in the hopes of becoming a great nation. Amazingly, they didn't even rest it all just in the promises. Do you see that? They didn't just look to the promises. They looked to the God who made the promises. That was the object of their faith. That was what they were trusting in. Well, how in the world did Abraham and Sarah know to trust this God? How do they know he was trustworthy? Well, God actually teaches them this all along the way. If you remember in chapter 15, do you remember how God encouraged Abraham? Abraham was there and said, Lord, I don't see how this is possible. Maybe we should go with Eliezer. That seems like a better route than what I'm going through. How do I know that I'm going to possess this? Do you remember what God did? He says, Abram, come outside. Look at the stars. See if you can count them. That's how many descendants you are going to have. Now, did God have Abraham look at the stars just because he wanted to give him an impressive number? Well, that's one reason. I think what God was also doing there is saying, Abram, look at the stars. I'm the God who made that. I'm the God of creation. I'm the God that made every sand on the seashore. If I can do that, this is nothing. Trust me. I'm the Lord of creation. It's so easy to forget that, right? We think, this is too hard for the Lord. But if we believe that God created the world from nothing, then we can believe that God can do all his holy will. But that's not all. As God was giving them these promises over 25 years, he was also teaching them through his name. In chapter 17, you don't have to turn there, but God uses a new name for himself that becomes one of his key names for the rest of the book. He actually gives Abraham the promise of circumcision. He changes Abram's name to Abraham, the father of many nations. He changes Sarah's name. He reiterates the promise and says, look, all these great things are going to happen. And they're wondering, how in the world is this going to happen? What should I place my faith in here? How do I know that you can do this? And God fronts all of that, the whole promise, by saying, I am God 
Almighty. I am El Shaddai in Hebrew. I am the God who is sufficient. The God who's sufficient for any task. Any challenge you face, Abram, any obstacle that comes up that may slow this plan down, it's nothing for me. I am the God who is sufficient. You can trust me. Look, Abraham and Sarah had a lot of good reasons to doubt. They did. A lot of good reasons just like us. A lot of obstacles in their way. A lot of good reasons to have fear, to struggle with faith. But they didn't have sufficient reasons in light of who God is. That's the key here. And maybe you're in the same place right now. Maybe you're thinking, Lord, I don't have a whole lot of reasons to trust you. I don't look around and see a lot of evidence of grace around me. Maybe you're thinking in your mind, if I made a pros and cons list with like all the stuff over here and all the reasons I shouldn't trust God and all the reasons over here why I should trust God, I can come up with 50 things in like five minutes. 50 reasons why I shouldn't trust God in five minutes from a worldly perspective. And sometimes the only thing you have on the other side where I should trust God is that he's God. And that's it. And that's enough for his children. Because this isn't just any God. Even though our circumstances and obstacles don't always add up to faith, it's not the circumstances or the obstacles that determine what we do. It's not how strong or how weak our faith is that determines what we do. It's God Almighty that determines what we do. The God who made the stars and the sand on the seashore. The God that made me and you. The God that controls all things. The God who is sufficient. The God of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob. The God of all these men and women in Hebrews 11. It's that God. We can trust Him. We've seen His faithfulness. We know who He is. He who promised is faithful. You know, we live in a world where all people really want to talk about is faith gotta have faith have faith 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 we're people of faith but faith means nothing without the right object the object is what matters at the end of the day not faith itself listen to what ian hamilton says about this i love this quote the glory of faith is not its quality but its object i'm going to read that again imagine a scottish accent it'll sound way more profound the glory the goodness the greatness of faith is not its quality its strength or its weakness, but its object. And our faith rests in God Almighty, the one that nourishes faith, the one that strengthens faith, the one that works through weak and strong faith. We can fix our gaze on Him no matter what the obstacle. And that's what Abraham and Sarah learned. So we've seen the obstacle of faith and the object of faith. Let's look lastly at the outcome of their faith. Hebrews 11, verse 12. Therefore from one man, And him, as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Isn't this amazing? This is what God did. From one man, as good as dead, Abraham, were born descendants. Isaac was born, and a nation was developed that was from Isaac, and we have a great people, so great that it's a threat to Egypt in Exodus. God did what he promised. But that's just the tip of the iceberg to what this promise is really about. Physical descendants were just the beginning. Turn to Galatians chapter 3. Keep your hand in Hebrews. We'll come back there again. Galatians 3. Paul summarizes what this promise is all about in this incredible passage. Galatians 3 verse 7. Paul says this, Know then that it is those of faith, and that's faith in Christ, who are the sons of Abraham. Do you realize what he's saying there? 
It's not Jewish blood that makes you a son of Abraham. It's faith in Jesus. Just like the song, right? You guys remember that old song in Father Abraham had many sons? It's good theology in that song. I am one of them and so are you. How is that? Because I'm a Jew? Because I have faith in Abraham's God. Because I trust in Christ like Abraham. Look at verse 8. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, not just the Jews, right? The Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. That's a fascinating statement right there. Abraham knew the gospel of Jesus Christ. How? Look at the next part of the verse. Saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Abraham saw the gospel in the promise of descendants. That's what that says. Look at verse 9. So then those who are of faith, that is faith in Christ, are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Do you realize what this means? Paul is saying, look, Abraham's faith, the outcome of Abraham's faith, the result of Abraham's faith is not Isaac. It's not the nation of Israel alone. The result of Abraham's faith is us. It's the people of God. We are the offspring of Abraham. We have the same God. We're spiritual descendants of our father Abraham. The same God that was faithful to him is the same God that was faithful to bring Jesus. And we trust in Jesus. We're not only sons of Abraham. Abraham is our brother in Christ. He's a fellow believer along with us. And the amazing thing that this says is that not only is this the outcome of Abraham's faith, not only is this the result of what happens, this is what Abram was looking to the whole time. He looked down the quarters of time looking through the promises of God. And the object of his faith wasn't just God himself. But it was the faithfulness of God in Jesus Christ. Abraham trusted in Jesus. That is the outcome of his faith and the object of his faith. And you might be thinking, well, come on, it's a stretch. How much could he actually know? Look back at Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, verse 12. Read this with new eyes. Read this verse with new eyes. Think about what this says. Because Paul says that this is the gospel to Abraham. This and among many things. Verse 12, therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants. Now that certainly happened through Abraham and Isaac. But what did Abraham learn from this? Abraham learned that God's promised son would come from a womb that shouldn't bear children. Just like Jesus came from a virgin's womb. Abraham learned that from one man who was nearly dead would come life and descendants. And Jesus would go and actually give his life to give others life so that others may be spiritual descendants of Abraham. Abraham knew that his offspring was the same offspring in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The one who would crush Satan, who would defeat death, who would reconcile the world to himself through a perfect life, death, and resurrection. The one who would have unfailing faith. The shadows of Christ are all over these promises. Jesus is the better Isaac, the promised son. We'll see that next week especially. Jesus is also the better Abraham, the one who was dead but brought life. That's Christ. Look at verse 13. This continues. Verse 13 says, These all, this is Hebrews eleven thirteen. These all, that's the patriarchs. That's Abraham and Sarah and their family and everybody else we've been talking about. These all died in faith. Faith in who? Faith in Christ, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. 
That's why Jesus can say in John 8, Abraham longed to see my day. He longed for it. He looked for it. He did see it and was glad. And what's the final outcome? Look down to verse 16. But as it is, they, all these patriarchs, all these Old Testament saints, they desire a better country. That is, a heavenly one. Their hope wasn't in Israel, physical descendants, some land. Their hope was in Christ himself, the one who would give them access to God forever. Look at the next part of the verse. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Brothers and sisters, that's where it ends up. We look to the object of our faith right now, but we look to Christ ahead. We look in hope that we will one day be with God in heaven. That we will one day hear these words because they're true of us in Christ. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called our God. I mean, that almost sounds blasphemous, doesn't it? God is not ashamed to be called the God of Russell Horner. That's only true because of Christ. That's the blessing. That's the God. That's what we look forward to in faith. And brothers and sisters, that's all we ever need. What more could we possibly want to endure in faith? No matter what circumstances come, no matter what challenges come, no matter how weak or how strong our faith is, we have a God who is faithful to keep his word. Because he who promised is faithful. Let me pray. Father, we're so thankful that we see the evidence of your faithfulness through your word. We're so thankful that the grace and the mercy that you showed to Abraham and Sarah, the patience you showed them through their faith, you extend to us. Father, we're so thankful that you've shown us your faithfulness in Christ, giving us your only Son. And since you have not held him back from us, we know that you will also give us all things in him. So Lord, we trust that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. We trust that you are faithful to work, sovereign to work for our good and your glory because you are faithful to keep your promises. May we cling to your son and endure in faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.